Welcome, everyone, to the 43rd drop of the Scoring at the Movies Bucket, the every-other-Thursday sports movie podcast. We talk about films with athletics in them, and we spoil them, so know that right off the punt. I'm the pint-sized fellow with a one-track mind. Although at least I don't wear two watches and need a pimp to find me girls. Ryan Ellis. And here's the underdog who isn't even given a name on his jersey, but is carried out the field after an unnecessary tackle. Number 45, Lord Chris DiGregorio. All right, you're going to have to explain a few of these to me. Okay. Normally, I understand entirely what your reference is. What is the Lord? Didn't you tell us this after Christmas, that you've been given some kind of a lordship? Oh, right. Yes, okay. Fair enough. Fair point. I this is your a... new name, incidentally. I think I'll have to do this every single week now, every two yes. weeks. Yes. Thank you, Scottish Conservation Society. His wife bought him some kind of lordship? Yeah, it's a conservation plot of land that you pay a nominal fee for, and they say, hey, you're a landowner. You can be a laird or lord or something. Okay, fair enough. I was really desperately hoping to be the oversized friend who can't look women in the eye, but I'll take the nameless quarterback that just gets plastered for no good reason. No, no you're Rudy. You're number 45. You unnecessarily tackle somebody. Oh, As man. we talked about, the score is, what, 23-3, to 3, and they finally put Rudy in. He <laughs> As tackles the time is winding The down. last play of the game, I better sack the quarterback. He's so selfish. Rudy. So you can say right off the bat that you love Rudy and everything he stands for. I do not love Rudy. My second time seeing this movie, and I wasn't wrong, I'm not a fan. We'll get to that very soon. First, I will say, if anyone's wondering why this episode's going up two days late, that's because I was still away on vacation. We record this before we go on vacation, of course, Bev and I. And I could try to post it from the Caribbean, but it didn't work last year when I tried to do it, and we had to post Longest Yard late, so I just figured, don't even bother trying. It'll go up on Saturday rather than Thursday. Only two days difference. But we are building up to the Super Bowl because that's February 2nd, Groundhog Day. And this episode will go up on January 25th. Yeah, see, if you were really as single-minded as Rudy is, then you would take the bus back to Toronto from the Caribbean, post the episode, and then you can have the rest of your vacation, the remaining 48 hours. Go back for a full day, yeah. basically. But only by bus because apparently that's the only way that Rudy and his family travel this movie. Well, they are relatively nearby to everything. I was looking it up during the film. We watched this together. Third time we watched the movie together. We watched The Longest Yard and Slapshot together as well. Mm-hmm. But they're in Joliet, Illinois. Yep. And then Chicago is mentioned. And, of course, Notre Dame is in Indiana. And they're all relatively close to each other. Reminded me a lot of League of Their Own because all those teams are close together. And as I said to Bev in that podcast, why there's that line, I guess just for the sake of drama. But when Gina Davis says at the end, you drive all night to get to a game the next day and play at 11 o'clock in the morning. The cities were two hours apart, or maybe four hours apart at the absolute most, and some of them were really close. You know, what they don't say, though, is the speed limits in rural Indiana are 15 miles an hour, so you might be really close, but Pecking driving along, all night. Just poking along. Well, we talked about that in Slapshot, too, where they talk about how far they have to go, and it's not really that far. Yeah, we also, but when these movies were made before Google Maps, so you would not be able to find this out. Oh, I thought you were going to accuse the bus drivers of just being terrible at their job and constantly getting lost. So what would have been like an hour's drive from one game to the next turned into six hours because they kept turning down the wrong route. 
What's I've gone this way so many times and I just can't remember where <laughs> can't to go. One day I'll get this right. I need a pocket device that has an ability to find me through a map app, a way to get where I'm going. But I did like how the constant bus traveling in this movie, because like I said, that's the only way we see Rudy travel or his family. It fit perfectly with his dad's uplifting speech to him at the bus terminal about... <laughs> pep down talk. Pep down talk. What's the family name? Ru- Rudiger. Yeah. You're a Rudiger. You belong in the gutter with the rest of us. Right. You know, you can have a middling job and a crappy life, and that's fine for us Rudigers. I'm like, geez, dad. Yeah. <laughs> Way to shoot for the it's stars. It's pep down talk in a movie like this. Well, in honor of the blue-collar people in this film, blue-collar up with your beer there. What are you drinking? Yeah, nothing says blue-collar beer drinker like a... Dry hopped sour, Ryan. Okay, white collar your beer over there. <laughs> La dee da. Only because I know your reaction to the final scene, or one of the final scenes of the movie, the famous Rudy chant. I know how you feel about that. I went with duplicitous ale because you have heard and similarly feel that the chant was not sincere. It was a mocking chant. The fans wouldn't be doing it. Maybe the players. I didn't buy that either, but the fans wouldn't. But even if the players were doing it, you were thinking it's more a razzing chant. They're more like taking the piss out of Rudy than they are First actually of all, chanting him on. The fans don't even know who this kid is. Maybe some of them would, but not very many. Not enough to make a whole big chant. And second of all, yes, the story is Joe Montana played for this team. He was hurt this year, though. That's why he's not the quarterback. That's why he's not portrayed in the film at all. But he has said since that the whole thing about carrying him off the field and chanting for him. The chanting did not happen, he said, and carrying him off the field was more of not necessarily mean-spirited, but more of a prank than actually saying, yeah, man, you did it. It does say at the end of the movie, he's the only person that's ever been carried off the field at Notre Dame. I'm surprised they never did that with one of their coaches, though. I think they said he was the last one to do it. I don't know if anyone had been carried off prior, but since, between that game, which would have been 74 or 75. And the movie's 93, so not even 20 years later. Yeah. Maybe it's happened 20 times since. <laughs> and then as soon as the movie hit, it's just been like a game tradition. They just carry yeah. one person off for a game. This guy did one thing right. Let's celebrate him. Okay, in, a, so, in a meaningless fashion, in a game that was already decided. By 20-some-odd points, yeah. Oh, we're so jaded. All right, so Rudy was released by TriStar Pictures in October 1993, and of course we did The Sandlot two weeks ago, also 1993. I don't know why we're not doing the anniversary year. movies with the zeros and the fives like we like to at the Top Nerd Project, but whatever. I thought we were doing the 26-year anniversaries this 27 year. 27-year anniversaries, then it would be. Yes, okay, that's fair. We're in the future, the year 2020. <laughs> you know, somebody mentioned to me today... 2019, that sounds like a thing, a year, but 2020 sounds like Buck Rogers in the 21st century yeah. kind of year. Futuristic, for whatever reason. There will be one or two hindsight references to this year as well by people. There already were the first day of the year. Such as? Hindsight is 2020, that joke. Oh, God. You haven't heard that yet? I haven't heard I'm really upset that I've heard it now. You're not a social media person. I've seen that on Twitter <laughs> and Facebook several times already, and we record this the first week of January. You're right, I'm not much of a social media person, even though I should be more of one. One thing I have seen circulating was a little infographic that showed that if you're 35 years old this year, I was born in 1985, and we're both older than that, you are now as close to the 1940s as you are to the 2020s, because 1949 and 2020 are equidistant from your age. Mm. So that means that we are both significantly closer to the 1940s than we are to the modern day when you're looking at our birth date. I'm not a young man, Chris. We're both old, old men at heart, I think. Even though this movie, in a way, is for older people, it's more of a dad movie than a kid movie, despite the fact the guy in the lead is, well, Sean Astin's not that young, but he's playing somebody who's 22, I guess, and maybe as old as 24 when it's over. Okay, that's a good question, actually, because I was wondering this. Do you think it's a dad movie? You say dad movie in air quotes, but let's say like any middle-aged guy, right? Mm -hmm. 
does it speak to them because Rudy is like a proxy for young them that never achieved whatever dream they may have had? Part of it, yeah. Obviously, the biggest comparison with this movie, the other sports movies, well, there's two. One is Hoosiers because David Anspaugh, who directed this, and Hoosiers, and Angelo Pizzo, who wrote that and wrote this, and also their composer, Jerry Goldsmith, the legend, did the music for both that movie and this one. And this movie, I remember Hoosiers quite well. This one sounds an awful lot like that one. He's really pillaging from himself, as John Williams has been known to do. But the other one you got to compare to, of course, a one-word title with an R, Rocky. And I buy Rocky. I've always bought Rocky. Even the bad ones, I enjoy those movies. I'm not going to defend some of the stuff in them. We've talked about those movies before on this podcast. We've done four Rocky movies between you, me, and Bev. But this one doesn't hit me. I don't know why, but I'll try to explain right now. We'll jump to the end right now. I started rolling my eyes and mocking to you, because I could do it since you were sitting right there, in the scene where he walks on the practice field after he quits. This guy, first of all, would never quit. Yes, the slow clap. Come on. We've seen that in thousands of movies, and it's been earned sometimes, and it's been great sometimes. It's been deliberately funny. People in the modern era have mocked the slow clap in a smart way, in a satire or something. But that was bullshit. I didn't buy that the players would do that necessarily. For just showing up to practice? He should have been being punished for not being there in the first place. You had that similar reaction when you first saw the movie, though, or you remember having that I think that so, kind, yeah, right? yeah. I don't remember seeing the whole movie years ago. I remember more the last third yeah. of what we're talking about right now and not buying it, even though I've been sucked in by that kind of stuff in other movies before, but not in this one. I don't remember how I felt about that particular scene when I first saw the movie. But, but you were a fan of this movie long ago when you I were was. young, right? Because you wanted yeah. to do this one. One of the first ones you mentioned to me a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago, whatever, when we talked about doing the podcast was we got to do Rudy and whatever. Yeah. We've covered a lot of them now. A big part of that was just its notoriety. Everyone knows what the movie Rudy is, even if you haven't really seen it. But that slow clap thing, like you said, has been so parodied or played off of over the last 25 years. I wonder if our shared reaction to that is at least in part colored by how many parodies of it we've Maybe. seen. Or how yeah. played into the dirt it is. Kind of like the Matrix slow motion bullet thing. The bullet right? time, yeah. That's a damn cool effect. Mm. But it gets so beaten into the ground, both in parody and just like a straight up rip off, that at a certain point people do it and you just look at it and go, oh, come on, really? That's After a few years it was like that, not exactly. even 20 years. At the same time, I still don't think it's a great thing. Because like you said, he's quit the team. If I'm in his shoes, I don't get half as far as he does anyway. So I understand why he quits when he doesn't. This guy would never quit. Well, maybe that's he true. He finally has, well, he's close to at least, his dream. And he doesn't get to play. He's not in the roster yet again. I know that'd be frustrating. I get it. But this character has portrayed for an hour and a half. Let me do the nutshell right now to yeah. apply to this. In a nutshell, groundskeeper won't shut the fuck up about football, so they finally just let him play. You can play, Rudy. He would never quit. And also, I just mentioned Rocky. In Rocky Two, that great speech I've referenced in this podcast so many times, even when it wasn't about sports movies. I gotta be around him, Mick. Rudy is an I-gotta-be-around-it guy. He would rather be on the roster. He'd rather play. Who wouldn't? But he would be willing to settle because he's got to be around it. So if he's not getting what he wants, but he is where he wants to be. And he's even lectured more than once by Fortune. The best performance in the movie, Charles S. Dutton, by the way. Really good. I think he steals the movie. Yeah, he's very good. You're getting a great education from an Ivy League school. And even before that at Holy Cross, where he starts and he gets transferred to Notre Dame. You're getting all these great things. You basically shouldn't even be here. And you're writing? Shut up! <laughs> yeah, I understand why you would be frustrated in that spot, but I wish they had done it before the last game of the season. To say you're quitting the team just before the final practice, before the final, or right. just after the final practice. Also bullshit. If it's the middle of the year, maybe yeah. that's a little different story. There's a lot of convenience embedded in this movie, obviously, and I fully understand that a lot of this is true to life, but a lot of it is made more melodramatic or fictionalized for the purposes of turning it into a more dramatic movie. But the fact that he quits, immediately goes to speak to his groundskeeper Yoda, 
friend, Mr. Fortune there, one of the scenes where he reads in the riot act about what an ass he's being, and then he goes back and yeah, he gets the slow clap from his teammates when he shows up late for practice. As good as Charles S. Dutton is in that scene where he's telling Rudy, what the hell's wrong with you? Don't give up. The worst thing I ever did was I quit years ago when I was on the team, so you should never quit. His issue was racism. That was what yeah. Fortune's saying. Exactly. He was benched because he was black. He's, that's I what think, he thinks. That's what he thought at the time. He so probably he was right. He was probably right. He would have been playing in, what, the 40s or 50s, I guess. Rudy says to Fortune in that scene that the reason he's so desperate to suit up is because he wants to come out of the tunnel to prove to people that he was somebody, that he belonged. I get that desire, I understand, but you got to earn it. If the only reason you're coming out of that tunnel is because you've complained that much... I want it, Jack Backrace. I agree. You could make the argument that he has earned it through sheer dedication over... He's not good enough. But he's not good enough. That's just it. And so, you know, granted, I've never had a desire this intense. For For this many years, too. For this many years. But I think I'd feel awkward or embarrassed if I were in his position running out of that tunnel knowing that I wasn't good enough to be there, but I was there. As a token gesture. As a token gesture. You're a -a make-a-wish kid. Essentially, that's what (laughs) you are. Before that existed, I think. I don't know how I feel about that. As far as what Rudy is describing his soul desire, does that really meet the criteria? I don't know. Maybe in his case it does. Maybe that's enough for him just to have worn the jersey in a real game. Who knows? Well, as cinematic as it is, and it's very cinematic when the players lay down the jerseys. The captain, I think, is supposed to be the first one. That is a good scene. And it's a very good scene, but it's not true at all. Apparently, the captain and one other player just simply made a strong request to the coach. And Dan Devine did not have to be convinced at all. Apparently, it was his idea to put Rudy in at all if the situation allowed for it when they had a big lead at the end of the game. Rather than being pressured right up to the last second, fine, put the kid in on the kickoff because he looks, Rudy does, after the kickoff, what do I do, what do I do, stay in there. So it wasn't a given he would stay in for any more than just a kickoff play. And then he makes the sack. But Dan Devine, and we've talked to this in other podcasts where they don't get the story right. You've certainly hammered on this with real life stories compared to the movie thing. And this cinematic thing, I get it. The Jersey thing didn't happen, but I do like the scene because I think it is well done. And also, after the captain does it, I don't think any other player just speaks. You don't need to keep saying, I won't play if Rudy doesn't. I won't play if Rudy doesn't. I won't play if Rudy doesn't. It's all just putting the jersey down silently. Yeah. And they don't all have to do it in the first place. One or two guys is enough. It's almost like, give my jersey to him and let him play. But, okay, so that makes Chelsea Ross, who was in Hoosiers, of course. Chelsea Ross has been in a few sports movies we've covered now. This, and Hoosiers, and he's the pitcher in a major league. Yeah, he's the vet in major league. That's he's right. He's something yeah. else Bev and I covered recently. I've seen him a lot the last couple of years. So, okay, I'll let that slide because it worked for the sake of a movie. But then I just don't buy that these people, the players, I guess, and then the fans for that matter, again, who don't even know who he is, would do the Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Not the whole stadium doing it, but a lot of people in that area doing it. That's one of the things Joe Montana said was a complete crock. Yeah, that might be a bridge too far, for me anyway, as far as... My eyes started to hurt because they were rolling so much. Yeah, I could hear the creaking in the background while we were watching it. I like the Jersey scene, even understanding it's not true to life, but I thought it was probably of all the scenes where they were trying to have that emotional climax at the end of the movie, like the slow clapping stuff, the chanting stuff, the carrying off the field. The Jersey scene, I thought, was the most effective of all those, cinematically. Carrying off the field is, if you buy the story, actually. That's the most effective way to end this movie, and it's smart that that's the last shot. I don't buy it, but if you do buy it, then I would say that's the most effective one. But because I don't buy the ending, and I know the real story, then I'm agreeing with you. This Jersey thing is better. I think part of the reason why aspects of this movie might not ring true to you or I, even though they're largely based in reality, is the way that they manipulate the story for the script purposes. Like his 
economic hardship that lead him to get the groundskeeping gig with Fortune, and then Fortune becomes this fictional character who is essentially an amalgam of any positive influences that Rudy would have had. And done many times in real-life stories they're told in the cinema. Yeah. Fine. I can live with that. But none of that was true to life because real-life Rudy, before he went to, or attempted to go to Notre Dame, had served in the Navy, so... Yeah, for several years. Yeah, so his fees for school were paid for through the GI Bill. Personally, what would have made more sense to me is if you took away that whole financial hardship aspect of his story where he's sleeping in the locker room and all that kind of stuff. But where is he sleeping before he's in the locker room? Because he's in school for a little while, at least several days or a week. Yeah, they don't really... Bustation? Gutter? He says he's showering at the school and stuff like that. That I can buy. I guess you're led to assume he must be sleeping at a bus station or something like that. But that whole storyline doesn't really accomplish anything except to serve as the impetus for him meeting Fortune. Yes. So if you get rid of that and you reintroduce another part of his real life story, which was his inclusion in some sort of boxing club at Notre Dame, apparently, where he was also a very popular and active figure, and apparently a large reason why the football team was so much in his corner towards the end of that last season at Notre Dame was, at least in part due to the popularity he derived from the boxing club activities as well as the football stuff, those two things combined really gave him that kind of notoriety. But where it's just his inclusion in the practice squad of the football team, it's a little harder to buy when you have all those people in your corner. I don't care how dedicated you are. You don't get enough of a sense of his inclusion in other activities in the school, I don't think, in the story, which would have led more credence to the end of the movie. He's a practice squad guy, basically. He's a prep guy. Yeah. Lay off a little bit. And I think at one point one of the guys calls him on that. This is just practice. You're making this Alan Iverson, just practice, practice, practice. Remember that whole thing from Iverson years ago? Yeah. Lecturing the media. That was kind of funny. I think it's his first practice where he gets knocked down. This is before he's earned everybody's respect, right? So he gets knocked down by a linebacker, one of the big dudes on the team anyway. I ain't going down no more. Yeah, and then he tries to get back up and gets immediately knocked down. Okay, I'll go down one more time. time. Gets immediately knocked down again. Up, down, up, down. And I think I played this for you at the time. All that ran through my head was that scene from The Simpsons where Homer's dressed up as the Krusty Burger equivalent of Ronald McDonald, and the Hamburglar shows up and pretends trying to steal a hamburger off the stage. Homer leaps on him and starts beating him mercilessly, and the kid just screams in the background, Stop! Stop! He's already dead! <laughs> and that Krusty that's doing that to somebody? Homer's dressed up as Krusty. Oh, that's Because he's like. filling in for Krusty. That's the whole crux of the episode. That is a funny, a horrifying moment in The Simpsons, but a funny one. It's super grim for The Simpsons in retrospect. It's all I could think of as we're watching Rudy get pummeled again, <laughs> pop up, pummeled again. It's like, Stop! He's they're bullying him. Dead. So in, in the end, they're, well, they bully him, and then later on, they bully the coach. You gotta play Rudy. Well, they're nice about about how they do it but well then yeah i guess the other thing that i don't buy is the very end montana says it's bullshit i didn't even know that when i first saw this movie though i've only learned that in retrospect i don't think any of us knew that till relatively recently whether yeah. it's a mean-spirited prank and athletes can be very mean-spirited or whether it's more of a good-natured one or whether it was sincere i didn't know any of those things when i saw the movie and i still didn't buy it i don't know why maybe you can explain to me why i don't buy it <laughs> specifically the carrying off the field aspect yeah. of it because that's the end of the movie that's supposed to be one of those moments dancing with wolves Field of Dreams, this is a movie that makes men cry probably more than women. Those three names, Dance with Wolves, Field of Dreams, Rudy, are great examples of films where men cry. This one didn't even make me come close to crying. Yeah, and this Nor is- did it turn me on, by the way. The can you score <laughs> aspect? Maybe because you're sitting right beside me. Very flaccid. Really? Even when John Favreau's character was getting pimped out is by he Rudy? ever fresh-faced, baby-faced, and even fat-faced back in this era, wasn't he? He was. He was never like a slim young... Vince Vaughn was in this movie, and he was slender man Vince mm-hmm. Vaughn. John Favreau has been the same body type and same shape 
of face since he was 19 through to 50. He has not changed <laughs> all that much. He looks a little better now than he does in this movie, actually. I think he is one of those guys, kind of like George Clooney, although not to the same degree, clearly, no. that ages into becoming a better-looking man. Debob has a weird character. Well, Favreau as Debob. Yeah, but he a... requires Rudy to get him girls. And the girls are good-looking. Actually, Lily Taylor as Rudy's girlfriend back home he leaves behind. Then she ends up with his brother. Which is, as we said, a little bit uncouth on both their parts. Maybe more so the brother. Did you say D Bob? Is that his name? D Bob. Yeah. D Bob. Okay. If you've met this kid for the first time in that class, and you approach him just out of the blue because he's aggressively note taking, I'll tutor you, but you have to find me girls. And he responds and says, "I don't know any girls. I just transferred here." And you're like a five foot six, nothing. Maybe you're not threatening, so you can approach women more easily. That could be. But still, that is their quest. You think this like random little guy is just going to show up and start hounding women for you? That's the weirdest freaking request I've ever heard. And a key point, you're right. They don't know him at all. It's not like they've known Rudy for years. Yeah, and then there's the whole montage of him harassing women and then basically laughing in his face. The this next movie loves the montage. That's more than most. Montage, there's got to be at least five or six of them, including a girl getting montage. There's a lot about this movie that if you really drill down into it, it is weird. One of the reasons why I asked you earlier whether you thought it was a dad movie or a younger guy movie is because I do remember seeing this movie as a teenager and that carrying off the field scene thing did definitely make me cry or okay. at least shed a tear. Right. As a teenager, I think maybe I was more ready to put myself in Rudy's shoes. I don't know why. I still am. But not in this case. No, I know. But when you don't know enough or as much at that age, when you're younger, you don't know as much about human nature and some of the cynical aspects of it necessarily. So when you're watching some of these gestures, they just come across more sincere to you. But at the same time, I think at that age anyway, I still had perhaps some foolish aspirations of greatness or something. I could see how that would speak to somebody who to that point in their lives maybe hasn't had the success they would hope they would have, but still aspires to something greater. This one specific thing, too, playing for yeah. this team. It's not about playing for a college football team. It's not about playing in the pros. It's about playing for Notre Dame specifically. Yeah. And yeah. he gets to do that. He gets to live his dream, and yet, I bet days, weeks later, he's still whining about something. Yeah, he's whining that his corporate appearance fee for his speechifying or whatever it was he did once he became notorious in the 80s. Apparently, even before this movie came out, he had garnered a certain amount of notoriety, at least in that area of the country, and really was able to rake in some speaking appearance fees, he was saying. Made He's more money mid-20s, than Mid-20s, effectively. Yeah. A college student. Okay, or whatever. Didn't we also read that he was involved in an SEC scandal? Yeah, that kind of takes Years the, later. the shine. Oh, yeah, very recently, like in 2011 or 2014 or something. He lost all the money he made subsequently to the movie. So He's a crook. Well, no, fuck that guy. He's an American, man. Like, I don't say this, money. most of what I've been saying, and maybe I've already made that clear, based on the real person, although it can shade a movie. I'm basing it on the fact that I don't think that Anspaugh, who I think did a brilliant job with Hoosiers, one of my very favorite sports movies, and I don't think Ian Pizzo as his writer achieved the same thing here. Pizzo's dialogue, so much of it is directly on the nose. My nose hurt from being on so much in this movie. <laughs> and a lot of sports movies have been like that. We've rarely seen a sports movie we could say unequivocally was good, both for sports and for a movie itself. Jerry Maguire, not that long ago, was that. But more often, the movie has been like a Sandlot. I enjoyed it, but not a great movie, just fine. It's certainly very nostalgic, as this one is. Yeah, this movie takes extraordinary pains to try to manipulate you emotionally. I attribute at least some of this to being more sophisticated as moviegoers in 2019, 2020 than maybe we were in the early 90s. Well, certainly when I was not even 20 and you were still mid-teens. Yes, that's absolutely true, of course. But not even just us specifically in the way we've garnered experience since then. But I think the movie going public, the way things were portrayed back then, 
there was a lot of broad emotional manipulation attempted in movies like this and there was very little subtlety applied and very little in the way of screenwriting that was necessarily look at the mighty ducks that's really manipulative yeah, exactly. And that's also the year before this. It was a year before the 92. This was the year, actually, of some pretty good sports movies. We've covered some. We'll probably cover other ones eventually. It was the same year as, well, Cool Runnings, we did basically a year ago. That was successful. Rookie of the Year, which we'll probably cover pretty soon. And the program, the program, as Bill Clinton would say, football movie, which maybe we'll do at some point. They were all more successful than this was at the box office because Rudy was 69th. Hee <laughs> 69. <laughs> but those other ones were all more successful <laughs> than this one was. In fact, it was 78th with the critics, Rotten Tomatoes critics, that is, 6.9 out of 10, and 90% of audiences like it. Stronger scores than I would agree with, obviously. 54th on the top 100, Cheers. Seven other sports movies ranked higher than this one, but that's not bad. It's the eighth most popular sports movie on the most inspiring list. Hoosiers and Rocky are two that are way higher than this. I think deservedly, probably. Yes, and it was nominated for the top 100 genres in the sports category. We've covered a lot of those now, and the top 50 heroes, Rudy. Because he won't give up. He won't give up. i got to do it, Mick. I ain't going to give up. I think the biggest difference between this and Rocky, from your perspective, I'm guessing, is the fact that Rocky actually loses at yes. the end of Rocky. That movie would still be really good, and it might have been popular, but it would not have been a blockbuster, and it would not have won Best Picture, and it maybe wouldn't have lasted in our minds all these years later, or spawned a franchise or inspired so many other films just like Rudy if he beat Apollo. And that's why I've always said in number two, he should not have beat Apollo. Partly because the beating that Apollo lays on him and blinds him and somehow he wins? No, I don't buy it. I agree with you entirely. That's part of the genius of Rocky from a screenplay. A lot of the great movies, though, whatever it is, rom-com or passion film, romantic film, don't Jerry, end up... Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire, Casablanca, they don't end up together. Well, they do in Jerry Maguire, Not actually. Not necessarily well, we long said, term. Maybe they won't long term, right, yeah. Sports movies, Rocky loses. Great war films, it's often about not succeeding or you barely get out of there alive. Like in Saving Private Ryan, most of the unit gets killed, but they do save Private Ryan. The so, Great Escape. What are the great war movies that's of all right. time? None of them actually... Well, no, sorry. Three of them stay escaped. But most of them are killed or recaptured. Mm -hmm. So this movie is about a success. It's about one game. I'm sure Rudy didn't play in the bowl game that Notre Dame went to that year. Notre Dame, of course, is one of the most famous sports teams of all time. They've won yes. at least two, maybe even more national titles over the years. National Championships. This is the mid-70s when Rudy was on this team. Daniel E. Rudiger, Rudiger, I should say, is his real name. But they always call him Rudy. He's never called Daniel. His father's name is Daniel. And that's, of course, Ned Beatty, who's been in so many great movies. Beatty's resume. Bev and I have covered so many excellent movies he was in. Nashville Network and All the President's Men. We covered those for the Top 100 Project years ago. Then Deliverance, as well, we've done that. That was his very first movie. He and then, of course, Deliverance? Yeah, he's one of the four guys on that. It was his first movie. He and Ronnie Cox had never made a movie before. They're in there with... Is he Burt Reynolds and John like Boyd. Yeah, pig guy. He's the one who gets raped oh. by the. Yeah, exactly. His first, wow. not his first scene, but one of the first, what, 30, 40 minutes of movies ever in. That happens to him. <laughs> Yikes! Rough and start. I love him in Superman. Mister Luthor, ultimate character actor, is still alive. He is a great character actor and not acting anymore though. By the looks of it, his last movie was in two thousand thirteen. Yeah, Ned Beatty. Anyway, pretty good as the father, except he's not very supportive of his son. <laughs> No, but for what he's being asked to do, he does it well. Right? Well, the actor's good. It's the actor's like, good. The father's well. The father's not a bad person either. Doing what he knows best. He's got, what, 14 kids? 14 kids we read, yeah, which is Stop crazy. fucking. The Daniel Rudiger Sr. character is a bit of a dick to his younger son, Rudy, in this movie, smashing his dreams repeatedly. But at the same time, from his perspective, and he does try to rationalize it a little bit with like a weird story about Rudy's grandfather giving it all up for a dairy farm during the Dust Bowl era of the Depression... But nonetheless, at this point in the movie, in reality, Rudy had probably enlisted in the Marines, or not the Marines, the Navy, sorry. Yeah. 
But in this movie's reality, he's had a good job with the steel mill, a unionized job with the steel mill for a couple of years. He's got this long-term girlfriend who, like you said, is still out of his league. Yes. Let's be honest. And they're looking at houses in the area. Nice little house. Nice little house. I would take that right now in a second. Exactly. Certainly not something that most of us could afford in Toronto these days, that's for sure. probably pay it off in a couple of years or maybe 20 years. And he basically just says, I'm going to burn it all down so I can try to appear in one football game for Notre Dame. Well, before any of that, though, happens, before he finally decides to go to Notre Dame, his friend Pete has that speech where he says... Having dreams is what makes life tolerable, which I agree with, by the way. I just said that recently in an episode Bev and I did, Requiem for a Dream. The movie's about addiction. But in the end, what is Sarah, the main character, Ellen Burstyn, what is Sarah's whole point to live? What is anyone's point to live? I think, I've said this for a long time, for any of us, whether you're 5 or 95, is to have something to look forward to. And if you don't, it's pretty easy to give up on life. So Pete's speech, obviously I agree with, because he says pretty much the same thing I've always said. But then in the movie, right on cue, the next scene I think it is, they kill off Pete. <laughs> you need a dream. Go chase it right now. And then he immediately dies. That was one of those moments where your nose starts to hurt a little bit because it's been pounded right on the nose by the movie. I don't think Pete needs to even say anything like that because you can just infer that Rudy finally gets that if I'm ever going to do this, I better do this now because I'm not a young man anymore. He's already 22 probably, something like that. Yeah. And he wants to go as a walk-on not even to Notre Dame. He thinks that at first, but he has to go to Holy Cross and get transferred. We find out he's dyslexic. I think that's based on reality. And it took him four tries in two years to get into Notre Dame. Here's the first eye rolling before the slow clap, actually. I forgot this point until right now. It's very nice, but the number of times people like Robert Prosky's character, he's a priest or something, he meets him first. It's nice that they're nice to him. That does happen. People get helped by people. You get where you are sometimes because somebody takes pity on you or they see potential in you. That does happen. We know that happens. But so many people believe in this guy and we're willing to help him. And maybe that's true, but it just seemed like it was just forced to me that they all are so patient with him. Even Jason Miller, who was in The Exorcist. He's the priest that dies. Oh, spoiler alert, but that movie is so old now. (laughs) But in that movie, Jason Miller is the one who is the cynic who finally starts believing and then saves the girl and kills himself all that. He's pretty good as the coach, Era Parsegian, who's one of the legendary coaches in Notre Dame because you got... I knew Rockney was a player. Damn, I knew this. Lou Holtz definitely is a legendary coach. New Rockney was a coach there. Okay, right. So they're the three legendary coaches. And Parsegian left the year that Rudy was going to supposedly get playing time. He almost promised them. And then he decided to quit. And they bring in Dan Devine instead. But anyway, just the fact that everybody's so supportive of him. A coach like that, they don't all have to be assholes. They don't all have to be like Bill Belichick is and ruthless. And we talked about in this podcast, probably one of our football episodes a year or so ago. Mm Mm-hmm. That Belichick cut that guy, wasn't named Ty Law, maybe 15 years ago. A great player, but they couldn't really afford him. He thought, so, okay, fine, I don't need this guy. And I don't think we knew then just how ruthless that was. Well, that was ruthless, but we didn't know how, obviously, smart it was, because they still won without him. And I get it. That's the way the GMs and coaches have to be, and owners. Sometimes you can't go with your heart, but this movie's all about them going with their heart and not using their brain. That is one aspect of it where I don't know if I agree with you necessarily. Don't forget, Bill Belichick is one of the notorious assholes of that's what i'm saying that's my point is that he is a ruthless coach but in parsegian's case and dan devine for that matter dan devine is more ruthless is more ruthless and portrayed that way right and there's more pressure put on that character to play rudy just because it's his senior year specifically but leading into that the father kavanaugh or whatever his name was that rudy harasses Kavanaugh, kavanaugh and that's how he gets into the holy cross thing i'm willing to buy that because You would hope that a priest is going to try to help out a kid who is so desperately in need of help. That is still the aspiration for priests, I would hope. I do wish they didn't have him show up in the middle of the night. Maybe that plays into his desperation in Kavanaugh's eyes a little bit. But still, Kavanaugh helps him fine. 
Rudy finds Coach Parsinian's Parsinogen's Parsigen. office, office, busts his way in, and I can understand a coach just saying, "All right, I'll give you thirty seconds, kid. Tell me what you're going to do." And coach, I'm going to be on your team one day. And also, unfairness against my own point, I was reading that Parsigen was really big. Maybe all coaches are, but he was really big on walk-ons, encouraging that kind of thing. When it actually comes to him making the practice squad as a walk-on, Parsigen doesn't have any involvement in that. It's the two assistant coaches that kind of read all the walk-ons, the riot act. And the one guy that's saying, you ain't got nothing, kid, get the hell out of here. And the other one's, oh, he's all heart. He'll be a good example for the rest of the which team. Which is true. Yeah. Which is true. Mm-hmm. Aside from what we've already talked about at fair length with the teammates themselves and how they treat Rudy later in the they movie. Don't get that much screen time. We don't really ever learn about one other player. Yeah. Other than the other guy who's, well, we, I don't remember that guy's name right now, but okay, him. Yeah. And then Vince Vaughn's got a little bit of screen time. I thought it'd be more than it is. And he never much. interacts with Favreau. Yeah, they don't get a lot of personal screen time. There's shots of people just hitting each other. But and we like, don't really meet the quarterback. No. We do meet some of those huge guys. That was well done because Sean Astin's about my height. He's a short little man. He's 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, oh, the casting of them, you mean? Yeah. Just because the sheer size. That's one thing yeah. about this movie you talk about. Is it actually depicted well? I guess so. The football's fine. But just the simple casting of these monster guys. And the padding they wear as well. You had an issue with that. I think it's in the game Rudy does play where he's got these weird looking pads look like they're taped up in a strange way. Yeah, that was... My brother had similar looking pads. Really? To play football would have been around that time, the mid-70s. Hmm. I remember my mom and dad had some of his football equipment in the basement for years. And I would see this when I'd grown up and I'd watched football lots of times. And you'd see what the modern equipment was in the 90s and into the 2000s and think, my God. My brother wasn't a very big guy. How do you not suffer some injuries with things he was wearing, especially oh, yeah. the stuff you wear in your hands and arms and stuff, the weird little padding. Anyway, yeah, Rudy's see, got something like that, so I recognize that. Yeah, the wrist guard. It looked like to keep the wrist firm or something, which mm. I've never seen before. The teammates obviously eventually accept him and support him, but they are quite antagonistic towards him initially. There's certainly at least a few antagonists throughout the movie. Notably in his hometown, there's practically nobody that actually supports him. It's not his own family, for sure. No, except his friend Pete. Who, who dies. Who, <laughs> yeah, in the most dramatic way possible. Epic explosion. Kaboom, Rudy, <laughs> go play football! <laughs> yeah. My skin is on fire! The only thing that was missing from that scene is if Rudy had run up to Pete's disgusting burned corpse and moments before pete passes on to the next world he whispers into rudy's ears go to notre dame <laughs> live your dream that would be the only and please way. get me a big bucket of water <laughs> <laughs> i'm so thirsty and, and burned <laughs> throughout the movie there's plenty of detractors and there are a few people that go out of their way to help him i think that fortune character who is his biggest cheerleader I but think. keeps him honest though too keeps him honest that's a good point as well even his biggest cheerleader does call him out on his bullshit sometimes i'm willing to give the movie a pass on that aspect of it though i do 100 percent agree that prior to pete getting blown up like he was in die hard <laughs> i would have liked it if they had treated that scene a little bit more delicately and this comes into what i was mentioning earlier 2019 movie making versus 1993 movie making or even like a million you keep dollar... saying 2019 but we are clearly in 2020 <laughs> We're even recording this in 2020. Yeah, I know, but I haven't seen any movies. If you had to sign checks, you'd still be signing in 2019, wouldn't you? And they would still be valid. I remember doing that when I had to sign checks back in the day. It would be well into February before I'd get it right. Oh, yeah. I'll or at be, least I get it wrong sometimes until well I'll be February. doing this for a month or two yet, don't okay. worry. But you see a little bit more subtlety in good movies now than you did even in good movies in 1993. So if you had this movie made now, made well, and made with a little bit of delicateness, I think you have Pete in the lunchroom before he gives his speech about dreams and don't delay your dreams, go get them, he gives Rudy a Notre Dame 
varsity jacket. Which that, he wears the rest of the movie. Yeah, even when he's not in Notre Dame. But of course, that's how he gets into the Boosters Club initially and stuff like that. He says, oh, I found this in a thrift shop. I thought of you, and here it is. And Rudy loves it. I think a better movie, he gives him that jacket. He says, happy birthday. Maybe they just leave it at that. And then they go back to work, and okay, Pete dies. Fine. But then you're left to infer that the last memory that Rudy has of his best friend is this beautiful jacket that he gave him from the school that he's always dreamed of going to. And he's like, well, damn it, I'm not going to give up on my dreams. I'm going to chase him down, whether it's for Pete or Pete was just the impetus for it. Then he goes to Notre Dame. I don't think you need to be punched in the face over and over with these speeches and yeah. weird explosions and stuff well, like that. It's like that. my nutshell. He never shuts up about this. We get it. You want to play football. We fucking get it. Yeah. Maybe he has to say it to different people. I guess that's part of it. But the movie's very repetitive. Okay, so you had your biggest eye-rolling moments in this movie. My biggest eye-rolling moments were young Rudy standing up in his bedroom with Pete reciting, I don't know if it's Newt Rockney's speech that he's giving at that point, but he's reciting it, go get him boys type of locker room yeah, speech. Right, yeah. And then later in the movie, when he finally gets access to the Notre Dame locker room with Fortune to go plumb out some blockage or something. The win one for the Gipper speech. Yeah, he does the same speech standing on a stool again. And oh, that too. He does that as well, right? And also the win one for the Gipper oh, yeah, speech, which Reagan's speech. famous thing. Reagan was yeah. George Gipp in the Newt Rockney All-American movie back yeah. in the 40s. That was a little bit eye-rolly for me, certainly. But that's another reason why Fortune likes him, because Fortune watches him do that, and then, oh, I like this kid. I guess. He's just, like, so starry-eyed and so simple. Like, Sean Astin's a good actor, but when he plays that, he seems like he's a bad actor. I guess that's the point, though. He's referring to someone else. He's doing an impression. You mentioned him as a young person, though. This is actually pretty well done, I guess, on the part of the filmmakers. That as a kid, Rudy's too small to play with his brother and, I guess, other brothers and friends <laughs> and stuff. So it's four on four, and Rudy's the yeah. all-time center. He doesn't get to actually play. He's always got to be the one hiking the football and, I guess, doing nothing else. I don't really know if he gets to do anything else, but one of them has to go home or gets hurt or whatever. And he finally gets to play, and he fails to sack the quarterback. <laughs> but then his big moment at the end, he does sack the quarterback. So that's pretty well that's done. That's true. It's not like they beat that to death. Subtle, for the most part, in a movie that's not subtle. That particular transition from beginning to end was a nice little touch. Although that scene at the beginning with young Rudy and his brothers and friends playing football, they make a point of saying, you're too small to do anything, so you have to be the center. And then when he's forced to defend the quarterback and, like you said, fails to sack him, they like yell at him and call him a spaz. What did you expect? You just said he was too small to do mm-hmm. this. You asked him to do it. He couldn't because he was too small, just like you said. And then you're mad at him about it? Granted, it's 13-year-old kid logic, but still, my head is spinning. Why mm. is this poor kid a spaz for failing to do exactly what you said he wouldn't be able to do? His brother's never supportive of him. I think I was also reading that Rudy is the oldest of all of them, but in this movie it's portrayed that, the, oh, that at least that one brother is older than he is. Yeah, that one brother who just He's wears never supportive of the him. sour expression on his face. They, humph, Until like, he shows up for the big game with his father, because they're in the crowd. And apparently the real Rudy is beside Ned Beatty. He's fan in stands in the credits. I really liked the performance of Fan and Stand. I was wondering who that it was. It really stood out so much that you didn't even know that he was there. I Neither know, did he I. blended right in. I read about that later. I didn't notice him at the time at all. But one thing about Rudy I think was very clear when he wants to quit is that he really needed Doc Graham's pep talk about getting close to their dreams but missing them, watching them brush past you in a crowd. Yeah. It was good enough for Doc. What you got should have been good enough for you. And I guess you could argue that he got to play, and that's in the movie's logic. I don't know about the real guy that that one sack was enough, especially when he's carried off the field. But Bev and I talk about this a lot now the last few months of what happens next. Forget the real people for a minute here. So they carry him off, they go in the locker room, and he's, of course, on cloud nine. Plus, they won the game. They're thrilled, and their team has done well again that year. What does he do the next day? Does he wake up and he still just has a football hangover? And I got to play, and I sat the quarterback. And then the next day goes by, and that starts to fade. And 
huh, maybe graduated, and I only got to play once anyway, and I was never all that good. He's like a drug addict. He's got to get it. What's he going to do? And yeah. I guess the real guy, we know what he does because he really cashed in on that fame. More power to him. That's the American way, I guess. Cash in on anything you possibly can. But in the movie's logic, what does this guy do now? Does he go back to that city and, well, the small town, Joliet, and go back to the steel mill thing, which is a similar thing to October Sky, a movie I like a lot from 1999. Jake Gyllenhaal is either going to be a miner. Well, he could do other things, but the logic of the movie is he's either a miner or he's an astronaut. Or mm-hmm. works for NASA, I should say, because he launches rockets in that film. I love that movie a lot. There's a great example of a movie that's really manipulative. I've always bought it. always liked it. Maybe because the acting is even better than that. Sean Astin's fine in this. He plays the character the way it's written and directed. And I like Sean Astin a lot. Of course, Lord, the Lord of the Rings series. He's the best thing in those movies. I didn't think that the first one, but by the time the third one came along, he and Viggo Mortensen, and they're all good. Everyone's great in that. Obviously, Ian McKellen is too. And Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood is very but good Astin at being whiny. steals that movie. He's yeah. such a loyal friend to his buddy who ends up basically going evil. Oh, Samwise. And his first movie, I didn't realize this, I was looking up earlier though, was The Goonies. There's a movie I could still watch and enjoy. Maybe we'll have to do a special scoring at the Goonies episode. <laughs> scoring at the Goonies, that's good. You know when what's his name there with the saggy eyes pops up in screen and then that'll be your scoring at the movie moment. What's the monster's name in that movie? Hey, you Sloth. Guys. Sloth, yeah. Sloth and Chunk. There's a great comedy team. Sloth and Chunk, together at last. One of the things that came to mind when I was preparing for the podcast is the line, I don't know if you've ever seen The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, but I bet you know this line, even if you haven't seen that movie. Bev and I covered that movie a couple of years ago, I think it was. Jimmy Stewart supposedly did something that John Wayne actually did. Killing a dude. Liberty Valance, the title character. Okay. But Jimmy Stewart rides that fame, and he knows he doesn't deserve it. But he rides it to be a successful politician, and it's better for the town. So a newspaper guy says in the movie that when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. And this movie is a great example of that exact thing. And in this case, one of the saving graces for this movie is for all of its manipulation in the screenplay and all of the fictionalized scenes or characters in it, the legend and the story intersect enough that I still buy it as an overall story. From my perspective, that might be its saving grace, where you struggle to accept some of those hyper-emotionalized moments at the end. And I don't know why, because I've bought into plenty of other sports movies that manipulated me, or other movies, period, and I didn't with this one. I would give this a five. This is maybe the worst score of all, because we've covered some terrible movies, but I didn't expect them to be good. And I really thought this one might have convinced me, because I saw it so long ago and barely remembered it. I don't remember any of the first half of it. And I was hoping I'd like it more. Maybe watching with you or mocking it, that doesn't help it at all. I didn't watch <laughs> it probably didn't help. I watched no. it by myself. I don't know. Were you battling tears at the end? No, no. Trying to hide it from me? When I was young, it definitely emotionally affected me more than it does now, which is why my takeaway is that this might be a more effective movie for a younger person than an older one because it's all oh. about somebody that's still chasing the and dream. And I'm saying it's more of a dad movie. For somebody that maybe had a dream like Rudy's and failed to achieve it, I don't know, would it have the same impact? I can't really say because I've never had such a laser focus type of dream. Your comments earlier make me wonder what kind of danger does this kind of laser focused dream present to somebody whether you achieve it or not, once you've passed the point where you could achieve it, once the realization sunk in that I've either done it, now what, or I'll never do it, now what, what do you got left? Now, in the case of real-life Rudy specifically, I think he was saved by the fact that he did become a little bit famous or a little bit notorious to some degree, even before this movie came out. So maybe that gave him avenues that he wouldn't have otherwise had. But like you said, it makes you wonder whether you're Rudy or anybody else with that level of desire for something... And that's taken away from you. I guess it's something like we hear from professional athletes at times. When you have nothing else in your life but this game, and that's all you've known, 
And for a lot of these guys, they're pushing 40 years old. And since they were eight, nine years old, they've been doing nothing but this. And we kind of touched on that with Friday Night Lights and other movies. What do you do? What do you have left to you? Hmm. Do you have any dreams? Forget about functional skills or things to transition into immediately. Do you even have a dream? Or... Maybe got another 40 years of life or even more, possibly. Yeah. There's probably no one answer because it's going to be particular to every person, right? For but... every guy that goes into coaching or managing or that kind of thing, successful player or not, a Billy Bean who comes the GM of a Oakland Athletics team for decades now. Yeah. Or uh, John Elway, who ends up running the Broncos and also ran a car dealership. I think successfully. It wasn't just John Elway's car dealership with his name on it. I think he actually was involved. Mm-hmm. For every person like that, there's a lot of others forgetting the head trauma, especially in a sport like football. We haven't even talked about the concussion stuff, which isn't any kind of factor in this movie. But no. Every time we watch a football movie, we've done, I think, six of them now. It's always in the background because this sport, more than others, brings about that exact condition in people. But you're right. What happens with people that don't have the option because of fame like Elway or someone like that? or the talent like Billy Bean to be in the front office, what do they do? And even if you have those aspirations, maybe you do have post-concussion problems and you're starting to lose your mind, or maybe your knees are so messed up you can't really get by in life. These are all the sacrifices that athletes make, especially football players, people that have very physical jobs like a football player. Not that every sport isn't physical, but especially football. What happens next for these poor guys sometimes? And I guess Rudy made it work. But one thing about this movie, too, when he graduated high school, without good enough grades to get into Notre Dame, not even even getting to community college in that area in Joliet, his classmates are probably heading straight to Vietnam. Because this movie is, I think, 62 when it starts, something like that. And it gets into the early 70s and the late 60s as well. Around that time, Vietnam is big. A lot of his classmates that played in football, no, no, his classmates in high school, would have gone straight into the Army probably, because what else are they going to do? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And Rudy himself did as well, but I don't think he ever served in the war, per se, as a Navy guy. That would have been the draft era of Vietnam as well. And so I know you could have gotten dispensation to go to college, but this was a He wasn't going to college. Well, not just Rudy, but his classmates. I imagine for a lot of them, there was such a big deal made of Rudy even wanting to go to college, right? And granted, he had undiagnosed dyslexia or something, and his grades were poor, But for a graduating class in a rural and small mill town where folks don't have a lot of money to send their kids away. Deer Hunter-esque. They're not kids, but they're, most of them, most of the friends in that movie go to Vietnam. Well, at least half the group of friends. Yeah. Because I think that's one of those deals of, yeah, they got drafted or what else do they have? They're working in a mill. If you did have aspirations to go to school and couldn't for financial reasons, again, serving in the military was a way to get funding out of the GI Bill to do exactly that, would it have been a better screenplay if A, was more subtle and a little bit even more true to life? Yes. Portraying Rudy going into the military first and then getting discharged and still being so obsessed with Notre Dame that he still pursues that dream. We saw that a little bit in the hurricane because he goes into the military. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly right. And then the movie is too long because we see so many scenes of Rudy basically saying, I want to play football. I want to play football for Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Cut some of that out and have what you just said, or maybe not even have what you said. I make the movie shorter because it is too damn long. Okay, three questions. How is that beer? What score would you give this movie? And do you feel like you could score while watching this movie? Except not with me. Yeah, well... I, watching with you. I tried several times while watching this movie. And your hand crept across from one recliner <laughs> my, to the other. My passes were not met with much success. Well, so, Sam was in your lap, so and a pillow was also there, I believe, so that may have been Sam hiding. was mostly just trying to score with my bag of chips the whole time. That's watching Sam this for movie. you. Yeah. So he certainly could score at this movie. Beer's great, always great. Duplicitous. 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 Much right. like the team at the end of this movie was to Rudy in their little celebration. My word for reserve and diet has been quite nice. It's almost gone. <laughs> score? I don't know. I said five. 
I'm trying to contextualize the movie within the era in which it was made in the early 90s where I really believe for whatever reason, because it's not like subtlety or complexity, even within the sports genre is unheard of. You've talked about Rocky a couple times in this podcast. And not that, subtle. It's not subtle. There are subtle moments, but the overall theme is not. No, exactly. But there are those subtle moments that this movie seemingly lacks for the most part and interesting decisions made in the screenwriting of Rocky that this movie also kind of lacks. This movie's pretty much straight point A to point B. You know where it's going to end, basically when it starts, right? But, and that makes it kind of dull, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's exactly right. But I wasn't that entertained by it, even. So that's why I'm thinking like a 6 out of 10, maybe 7 oh, out of 10. okay. thought you were going to say higher than that. Wish what I... about in comparison to Hoosiers? The same filmmakers, the same composer... Hoosiers, you liked quite a bit more Big than fan I of Hoosiers. did. Yeah. Hoosiers, I think, is a good movie, and it's probably a better movie than Rudy is. I might have been more emotionally affected by the jersey on the desk locker room scene, not bringing tears to my eyes or anything, but there was nothing in Hoosiers that was that emotionally affecting to me either. So that particular scene in Rudy individually might have been more effective to me than any individual scene in Hoosiers. Okay. But taken as a whole, I think Hoosiers is probably a slightly better movie than Rudy. I won't be watching Rudy ever again, and I'll see Hoosiers again at some point. And I've already seen that one probably five or six times. Another Hoosiers. Indiana set high school slash college sports movie as well. Hoosiers is definitely a more entertaining movie than mm. Rudy. There's no question about the it. underdogs who make it work, who went out in the end. And you get to see that sweet underhand free throw stroke yep. go up. <laughs> You've got this, all. I should also like Rudy. Because of the simple fact that it's not about the big game. Yeah, it's a big game, but it's not about that. It's about him simply playing in the big game. Had he not sacked the quarterback, and you could find a clip online of him actually doing it. Unfortunately, it doesn't show them carrying him off the field, because as we said, that really happened. But the clip I found just cuts off as soon as he makes that play. Because the game's over. That's the last play of the game. I don't think it is in reality, though. Well, there's several plays where he's on the field. I think he's on the field the whole time, because there is a kickoff. Oh, he and is on the, yeah, he it's is on not the field. instant. It's not the very first play in the movie they portray, and that's just, let's get this over with, thank God. But it's not the very first play <laughs> from scrimmage after that kickoff. Thank God. It's, why are you still talking? End this movie. But you see several plays in the clip I found, and then he makes the sack. I think they say Rudiger makes a sack anyway. Then the clip is over, so. All right, well, that's enough about Rudy, I think. So this is going to be a few days late. Sorry about that. The Super Bowl is on Groundhog Day, like I said, and there'll be no Patriots. We know that for sure. We're recording this in early January, so God knows where the playoffs will go in the meantime. But the yeah. Patriots have already lost... There's a lot a of people will love them that. A few interesting results in that first wild card round. It seems like all the games are close, too. Yeah, I think three went into overtime. Right. So in two weeks, we'll be in February, and we're going to pull another Lionheart and cover something that's very debatably a sports movie. But it does have some surfing. And football. Right? And so that's why it counts. And it is one of the most fun movies of the 90s, 1991. Point Break. And skydiving, which is not a sport. There you go. No longer activity. is it very debatably. It's acceptably a sports movie. It's acceptably. I am an FBI agent and sports movie. I'm really looking forward to seeing Keanu at the peak of his acting prowess. Bev and I covered Matrix last year, Speed, and Parenthood in the span of only a few months. So a lot of Keanu in about a year on this channel after very few, if any, before that. I don't think we ever covered him before that. Maybe something. I can't think of it right now. So we're on Twitter. I am at MovieFiend51. He is at Scoring at Movies. We're on Stitcher with the podcast and Spotify and Apple Podcasts under Top 100 Project. And the website, of course, is Top100Project.com. And you and I are not that far now, incidentally, from 50 podcasts. That'll be a few months from now. We'll do a special show. Yeah, we'll have to come up with something a little bit different for the 50th episode. Well, you said before we'll cover maybe our five favorites of the movies we've covered at that point. Yeah, a little bit of a retrospective or mm -hmm. something. Yeah. yeah, I think that so makes anyway, sense. anyway, we'll promote that when we get closer. Or maybe... 50 shots of alcohol in a 50-minute episode for the 50th anniversary. Let me try a we'll <laughs> If I could change 
And you just can change. I don't remember the rest. And I'm going to be sick. <laughs> so take her easy, Rudy's. I know that you will. Shut up. Not you, them. <laughs>